Go ahead and have a seat if you would. It is great to see all of you. It is good to be together, whether you're gathering with us live and in person or whether you are listening in today online. We're glad that we are together in spirit as a congregation, and we do welcome all of you today. It was just about this time of year, several years ago, when I received a call from this church to come and be pastor here. And uh, Carolyn and I were very, very excited about uh, the day arriving when we could finally come and be together with you. The only thing we weren't looking forward to was telling my former church, the only other church I've been at, that we were going to be leaving. And I wanted to tell the staff first, and so we sat them down, and, and the time came to tell them and uh, so I went ahead and explained that there was this church in western Pennsylvania that we were going to be going to serve. And I wasn't exactly sure what their response was going to be, but I wasn't prepared for the response that I got, at least out of one of them. Because one of the guys who was there on that staff actually had formerly served in a church here, not too far from where we are. And uh, his response was he just, he just laughed. He went, <laughs> good luck. And I thought, no, 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 it's a great church. We can't wait to go. He said, well, don't get your hopes up. I thought, dude, you know, we've, we've already committed to going, right? This guy did not have the gift of encouragement. And thankfully, he didn't have the gift of prophecy either because it's been wonderful over all of these years that we have been together. Now, you probably know somebody like that. There are naysayers all around us. You probably have some naysayers in your office at work or in your workplace. You might even have some in your house. They're the ones who throw cold water on your excitement and on your enthusiasm about things. They're the gloom in every room, right? They're the don't-get-your-hopes-up kind of people. Now, we probably shouldn't be surprised that there are so many of those sorts of people who are floating around us because a lack of hope or a movement toward hopelessness is something that's very real in our world today. Before the pandemic, before any of that stuff sort of came on us just a few years ago, there was a professor at Princeton who wrote an article, an essay, that sort of gained wide reputation or wide reading and he talked about the epidemic of hopelessness that is present in the U.S. That was a few years ago. Psychology Today at the end of last year talked about how the suicide rates in America are significantly on the rise. And now in this year, with the pandemic, with the racial unrest, with all of the other circumstances that going, are going on around us, there have been surveys taken that show that 48% of people self-report that they are dealing with bouts of depression and hopelessness. We should be people, hopefully, who can get our hopes up. That's what we're going to be talking about today. In fact, that's the name of the sermon for today. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. But if this is going to be meaningful for us at all today, this can't be some sort of a, a Pollyanna or, or everything's coming up roses kind of consideration. It's not just be happy, stop worrying. We're going to have to dig into the reality of what's going on around us and find where we are and how can we move forward. So the question is, can we find that sort of hope in our world today? Can it be experienced with all of the things 
that are going around. Because it seems today, and maybe you've noticed this, that it only takes some one little action on somebody's part to sort of launch this firestorm of words or riots or violence or reaction that is sort of off the charts. So it's a legitimate question. Can that hopeless or can that hopefulness actually be found? Is there reason to believe that we can get our hopes up in the context of this world that we are in in 2020? Now, there have been a few different approaches to hope, to trying to find hope. And a few places where people have sort of settled out in relationship to hope. We're going to think about that today. We're continuing on in this sermon series, More Than a Feeling, and that's exactly what hope is. It's more than a feeling. We're going to see if it has the ability to sustain us, to meet us where we are. So there are three different categories of hope that I want to sort of lay out where you can find pretty much everybody in our world today in one of these three. You're in one of them. You might even be in a couple of them. But the thing is that oftentimes the thing that our hope or the reason that for the hope that we have sometimes can stand in the way of us actually experiencing the hope that we need. And you might be trapped there a little bit today. So we're going to try to unpack this because we live in a context and in a culture today that needs hope. And you might find yourself right there. Three different categories of hope. The first of those is what I would call empty hope. Empty hope. Experts tell us that when we reach a place where our hope is waning, it doesn't even have to be some sort of state of abject hopelessness. We start to get desperate. And when we start to get desperate, we get vulnerable because when we're in that sort of a spot, we are willing to sort of take additional risks or jump at kind of the first thing that comes along to hopefully address that kind of hopelessness. We make rash moves. And just by its definition, a rash move is one that we haven't necessarily fully contemplated. It's not one we've necessarily fully thought our way through. And that leaves us in dangerous positions and sometimes jumping after things that we wouldn't if we hadn't have found ourselves in that place of vulnerability. So sometimes you see people jumping into a relationship, romantic relationships, jumping into marriage as a way to try to overcome the feeling of hopelessness that is starting to come over them. The thought being, well, at least if I have somebody, anybody's going to be better than finding myself in a place where I'm lacking hope. And so people are making decisions to jump into circumstances that they wouldn't otherwise have. And that's what hopelessness or a feeling of a lack of hope can do to us, because we want to jump after something that can possibly help. It's also one of the reasons that people get addicted to all sorts of different things. When we're under that influence of whatever it is, the hopelessness seems to go away, at least for a while. But what seems like it is piling up hope for us in that scenario is actually eroding hope. It's actually digging a deep ditch that eventually we're going to fall into and and we'll come to discover that we're actually worse off at the end than we were at the beginning. It's an empty hope to be Sure, and that's one of the reasons why so many treatment programs don't work. It's because they do something to break the the cycle of the addiction, but they don't do anything to offer a new hope to replace the thing that took you off in that direction in the first place. 
It's one of the reasons I love what's happening here on Monday nights with Chisel is, is one of the first pieces of that is going after a hope, is understanding where our hope can actually be found. Other people, when feeling a lack of hope, are drawn to spiritual things, which is a very good instinct. The danger there, the problem is that not all spiritual things are created equal. You can go down a spiritual path that doesn't get you anywhere near God. The Apostle Paul addressed this. He's talking about the Gentiles and their need for Christ, their need for salvation, the the non-Jews that you find in the Old Testament. We tend to think that it's the Jews who were the spiritual people. They were God's chosen people, and so they're the ones who are pursuing after God. They're the religious ones in the Old Testament. That's not true. The Gentiles were also, very much so. They went after all sorts of gods, all sorts of false hopes, all sorts of idols they worshipped. They thought that this was something that was going to provide them hope, something that was going to give them prosperity for the future. But it just ends up being an empty hope. Here's the way that the Scriptures say that in Ephesians. Paul says, you were separated from Christ without God and without hope in the world. And he's talking about people who are running after spiritual things. And that happens in our context. People run after things that are spiritual, but they're running after things that have no substance or have the wrong substance behind them. There's something inside all of us that instinctively knows that when we're lacking hope, we need to pursue it. We need to go after it. That's where the people of God come in, where it's so essential that we would step up and step in because so many of the things that others are going after is just going to leave them empty. And so as people of the light people who understand where the substance can be found, where hope, where genuine, real hope can be found. We have a responsibility to speak up and speak into those contexts. And the truth of the matter is, in that sort of a scenario that we're seeing more and more and more become the nature of the world around us today, you don't even have to convince people. You just have to point them in the right direction because they're desiring to find it. I had a guy walk into the office, and he came in and he said that he needed something. And so I said, well, what do you need, thinking it was going to be a request for money, as sometimes it is. And he said, I don't know. And that was an unusual response. I said, well, why did you come here? He said, because I think it has something to do with God. So we talked about that. We talked about Jesus. We talked about sin and our need for Christ. We talked about the cross and and the need for salvation and how we need to put our trust in Jesus. And as I'm explaining some of this, he's like interrupting me along the way. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, I thought he was on something. I didn't know. And so eventually he just blurts out, can I trust Christ now? I'm like, no, I don't think so. No, it's like, yeah, absolutely, of course you can. And we prayed, and it stuck. Months later, you could tell it stuck. He knew he needed something. He was desperate for some hope. He knew he was looking for something, didn't know exactly what he was after, but he was ready to pursue. And so many of the people that we have around us today are in that sort of scenario 
This year has sort of eroded all of the other things that we hope in and have left us in a spot where we recognize the emptiness of what's being pursued. More and more people around you are in that circumstance. They're in a place of empty hope, and you have an answer and a responsibility with the answer that you have. So, empty hope is one of those categories. A second one is what I would call encouraging hope. This one's interesting. Just by the name, it sounds better than an empty hope, right? And so it sounds like there's some good substance in this, and there is to a point. Encouraging hope is where we pursue some sort of a purpose or a passion that provides us with a sense of fulfillment. We feel pretty good about what we're going after. It can be a relationship, it can be your career, it can be a hobby, it can be your grandkids. And unlike the empty hope people, folks who see you pursuing these things pat you on the back. It looks really respectable. It looks like something that you could pour yourself into for a long time, and people do that very thing. It can become a life mission. It can sustain you essentially for all of your life, and there's nothing wrong with it as far as it goes. The problem is it doesn't go far enough. And it seems to me that the events of this last week have pretty much brought this into sharp focus for us. I was watching one news report. This is when all of the results were in question and they were interviewing a bunch of different people. And there was this one woman they cut away to and she was in tears and she says, I don't know what I'm going to do if he doesn't get in. I don't even know who she wanted in. But what I do know is that she was putting too much hope in the wrong place. See, regardless of who occupies the White House, it's going to bring encouragement to some and discouragement to all or others, but it's not going to bring a lasting hope to anybody. Because lasting hope is not found in a man or in a woman. It's found in Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. That's where it rests. It doesn't mean the election is unimportant, but we never can forget where our real hope is found and where we need to place it and what we need to go after in order to find it. In Psalm 20, David is reflecting on doing battle against his enemies. And as he's thinking about that, he's not, he's not rehearsing his own military prowess, though it was great. He's not rehearsing his, his strategy and his, his ability to defeat the foe, which he was very good at. He could have done all of that. Could have been resting in those things. He wasn't. You know what he says? Here's what he says. Some trust in chariots, yeah. Some trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's what he's saying. There are a lot of things you can trust in. Nothing wrong with chariots. Nothing wrong with horses. Nothing wrong with being a good military-minded person. Something you can rest in there. Something that's very encouraging to be that person. To be in charge of that army. He said, but that doesn't matter. Because we trust in something better. The thing that can provide, which is the Lord. The name of the Lord our God. Encouraging hope has some positive things to offer, to be sure, but it also has the power to deceive because we can pour ourselves into it, 
thinking that this is the answer. And what it is really ultimately doing is just distracting us from the real answer. But people are patting us on the back. There are things to celebrate about what we're going after. There are lots of good things there. And that's part of the reason why encouraging hope can actually be far more deadly than empty hope. Because you can get all the way down the road. In empty hope, you don't. You get far, part the way down the road and all of a sudden you recognize, I'm bottoming out. There's no future in where I am and what I'm going after. And so it's sort of this wake-up call that i got to do something about this. At least you recognize that with empty hope. With encouraging hope, you can get all the way to the end of your life having been pursuing things that just cannot supply beyond what this life has to offer. But we can deceive ourselves. We can be distracted by that. And there's so many people around you today. Maybe in your family, certainly in your workplace, in your neighborhood, who are resting in things that are bringing them some encouragement in the moment. But there's nothing lasting. Nothing that is going to provide for their deep and genuine need. And many of us are in that same category. Again, nothing wrong with pursuing Loving on your grandkids. Nothing at all wrong with that. But if that's where we're finding our purpose and our mission and our hope, then we're going to end up at the end of the day very dissatisfied. So we've got empty hope. We've got encouraging hope, which at the end of the day is actually empty hope, if that's all you're resting in. But there's one more category of hope. And it's this, enduring hope. It's what we all want, right? And there is just such a hope. There are a number of facets to it. We don't have time to dig into all of the different ones. But I do want to give you a taste of what's going on here. So the first truth to understand about enduring hope is that it's rooted in Christ. Look, the benefit of any hope is always determined by the reliability of the source, the reliability of what it is that you're putting your hope in. That makes sense. I can maybe illustrate it this way. Imagine that you were looking for a team to give you hope to get to the Super Bowl. Can anybody think of a team not far away that has gotten off to a pretty good season this year? Who would that be? The Steelers, of course. I was expecting somebody at least to say the Browns. Nobody said the Browns. Good for you. They got off to a better start than normal, but... Okay, so the Steelers. Absolutely. They've gotten off to a very good start. So putting your hopes in them would be pretty good in this year because the strength of the source is pretty high. That makes sense. A team that you would not want to put your hope in would be the New York Jets. They're 0-8 this year. The source of the hope is pretty weak. Another team this year you would not want to put your hope in are the New England Patriots. They've gotten off to a pretty bad start. They're 2-5. and five. And I'm just wondering, how many of you feel really bad for Bill Belichick and the Patriots? All right? Not many. Okay, I, I saw a couple of hands. Security, could we please get some? No. All right. The point is that the benefit of any hope is always determined based on the strength or the reliability of the source. That's the point we're making. And that's why our hope can only go so far when it comes to hope being placed in human relationships or in political leaders or in our careers. They're all limited and flawed, and they're going to let us down in 
the long run, but not so with Christ. Look at what the Apostle Paul has to say on this. He says, that is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God. We've put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of all who believe. It is rooted in something that is strong and something that is going to last. And that is Jesus Christ and His work on our behalf. So, when it comes to an enduring hope, it's rooted in Christ. Another point we can make in that regard is that it overcomes weariness. One of the most beautiful, empowering verses in the whole Bible comes in Isaiah 40, where it says this. It'll be familiar to many of you. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I wonder, has anything about 2020 made you weary? I hear it all the time. The pandemic, the masks, the unrest, the unrest about masks, the election, the bickering. Look, I get it. I'm there right with you. I know that it's been very difficult to be sure. And for many of you, I'm sure there have been some other certain personal things that have sort of piled on top of the rest of what all of that is. Isaiah 40 is a passage that is spoken to people who had been through the ringer themselves. The Old Testament, the people that we find there who were the first audience for those scriptures are people who had been through a very difficult year, like we're thinking of our year. In fact, their year expanded sort of to a lifetime. It was a very difficult context that they were living in. Yet this verse says that they are celebrating in the midst of it, that they're soaring on wings like eagles. They're running and not growing weary. They are walking and not fainting. Imagine being able to say that as the people of God when we think about 2020. I'm soaring. I'm running. I'm walking. I'm not getting stuck. Unfortunately, that's not what I hear around a lot. Kind of quite the opposite. So how can these people who are suffering and struggling through so much take on that sort of a perspective? Those who hope in the Lord will do this. They'll overcome their weariness. They'll be able to soar and rise and run and experience the opportunity that's in the midst of where we live rather than just the downside of where we are. One more aspect of enduring hope is that it's a permanent blessing. It's a beautiful promise in Proverbs that is given to those who put their trust in God. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off it says. Those are encouraging words for a nation of people who were concerned that their very lives could very likely be cut off at any moment. Fast forward then to the New Testament. We find Peter writing to give a similar message to the people of God in his day. Here's the way he wrote it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's interesting that he calls this a living hope. That's a great way to put it. We were singing about a living hope earlier. 
It's a great way to put it because it's got a double meaning. It's a living hope because those of us who have come to receive it through the new birth that we've experienced in Christ, we are made alive. We were dead in our sins, but Christ has turned that around because of His glorious work on the cross and resurrection that followed. It's also a living hope because it's been enervated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is alive because Jesus is alive. He also says here that it's a hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's a permanent blessing. However, that hope isn't just given as a comfort for our future, but as a catalyst for our present. So important that we would get this. It's not just some sort of comfort for eventually it's all going to work out one day. It's a catalyst for the present because we have a responsibility in the moment. Because we've been given a living hope. We need to live in it. Because I don't believe that it honors the Lord or our faith or our hope to just wallow around like others are. To be depressed by the circumstance we find around us to the point where where we're as hopeless as anyone else that we find nearby. But rather, as people who do have the light of Christ, that we would see and recognize and understand this to be an immense opportunity. How many times do we talk about the fact that there, are, that there are people who tend to respond only when they are sort of hit rock bottom? You've got people in your family, maybe you yourself, you had to hit rock bottom. Well, could it be that collectively the circumstances around us today are bottoming people out? to the point where they're ready? Could it be that this is actually a catalyst for revival in our world today? But that's going to require a response on the part of the people of God who have a hope that's alive inside, that that, that, that hope would be seen, that it would come out, that it would be expressed. Hope is more than a feeling. But there are a lot of people around us, when it comes to the feeling of hope, who are empty. Or they're resting in the wrong thing. Could it be that our best message in the face of 2020, when we hear it around us, is not, yeah, this year just really stinks. But rather, you know what? I find a hope in where we are. Not in the circumstances around but let me tell you about the hope that I have. Your eyes are going to be opened as you move forward to see people who are, who are living with an empty hope. Maybe an encouraging hope for them also, but just temporary. We have an opportunity and a responsibility to step up and step in. And as we do so, I believe that there are many people who could come to the end of 2020 and because they've come to experience, maybe through your witness, an enduring hope for the first time, they'll walk toward eternity saying, the best year of my life was 2020. It can happen. And you've got the message to take it forward. And as you do, I believe that all around us, there are people who can get their hopes up. And I pray that they would. 
and I pray that you would as well. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that there is always hope where there is Jesus. That that hope endures. That it lasts. There are so many things that seem to be trying to strip it away to take it away, to change our perspective, to, to cause us to just hope that we can just flush 2020. There's so many things that we've learned. So many things we've learned about ourselves. So many things that we've learned about the directions that we've been headed and, and the need to arrest the direction we were going and turn a new direction, whether that would have to do with faith, whether that have to do with race relations, whether that would have to do with the pandemic, whether, regardless of what it has to do with. Lord, you're waking us up. I pray that we would not be people that would slumber in the midst of your wake-up call. Remarkable opportunity in front of us. And I pray that as the ones who have the reason for hope, that we would be ambassadors of that hope in the world that we live so that people might be drawn to you, so that people might get their hopes up because there's something to hope in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.